Hello, and welcome to Second Helpings, a Grace Fellowship podcast designed to serve up another round of insight and application from our Sunday morning corporate worship gatherings. Pull up, dig in, and get filled as we take another taste of God's greatness. All right, well, welcome everybody to a new fresh episode of Second Helpings here. Can it be a fresh episode of Second Helpings? <laughs> if you're going to the buffet again, it's for the second helping would be fresh. That's it. We got new stuff coming out. Hot out of the, hot out of the kitchen today. So then I'm just wondering, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> it's already begun. Yeah. You guys get me in doses. Dan has to work with me. Yes. <laughs> um, really excited this week. We were just talking a little bit before turning on the cameras here about the subject matter, how it's expansive. There's a lot we can cover this week. Um, talking about the first chapter of James. I mean, it's one of those things that you didn't talk about in the message, but just as you read through epistles, James really comes out of the gate firing in this one, right? Like he gets right to the heart of the matter. Um, Not that all the scripture is not practical, but he kind of gets right to, boom, this is something really important. So I know you didn't cover everything in your message just simply because you cannot. This is, you could write a book on this, Um, but just kind of any point we want to start off of anything to recap. Um, as we get into this conversation, thinking more about temptation and trials and how we deal with them in a God-honoring way, is there anything right off the bat that just kind of comes to mind? Well, just speaking to what you just said, the fact that James comes out of the gate, why does he come out of the gate so hard? He comes out of the gate so hard because life really matters and getting life right really matters. So therefore, he starts out firing on the idea of the trials and because temptations very much come out of trials, difficulties mm-hmm. that we feel and experience. So he jumps right at temptation. And I think that he's incredibly helpful in connecting some dots where people struggle when it comes to temptations, whether it's uh, temptations for greed or anger, but predominantly, I think for men, uh, not completely, but I think we could agree that this comes up an awful lot in our counseling is how do guys move through issues of lust, issues of temptations, issues of immorality. And I think James is incredibly helpful when it comes to that subject. And I want your pause for a second. is something I think to take note of, because I think it's the same reason that probably me and Pat would take pause is this is different than it was 10, 15 years ago. It used to be pretty much exclusively men that we talk about when it comes to sexual Mm -hmm. temptation. That's right. Um, but just the nature of our culture and the way it goes, it is not that testimony anymore. So there's not a pass out there for the ladies. And maybe ladies, if you're not dealing with it, be proactive to make sure you don't. But there is a growing, unfortunately, market share for the people that make money off of this. Mm-hmm. And they've realized they can tap into to ladies to make a profit off of it as well. And it cannot just be a sexual lust, but there could be a lust for a type of life. There yes. could be a lust for a type of romance, mm-hmm. a lust for a kind of living that uh, it's different than its expression, but it's the same in its category. Mm, that's good, it's really good. Um, so Pat, was there anything in particular for you that stuck out? I know we talked about, you did a retreat on this a couple mm-hmm. years ago, a lot of good things, anything that was kind of just firing off as, as Dan was going through the message there? Well, something I'm, I'm always a keen fan on is providing definitions so people have a better understanding of what it is we're talking about. And John Bloom's a guy who writes for um, Desiring God and he's just got away with a pen and uh, the way he's um, defined a temptation is, is a disorienting, defiling experience when evil is presented to us as good hmm. or when destruction comes dressed up to look like happiness. Hmm. And so that which leads to the road to perdition, shall we say, is presented to us as the road to satisfaction and joy and pleasure and put whatever positive adjective you want to put in there. Hmm. And so the battle then is for us 
to be able to discern is the message that's being relayed to my brain through the world outside or through the, the inherent fallen sinful nature that still resides within me communicating accurately or not. Mm. And I have to have a guide. I have to have some sort of plumb line with which to discern that message is coming to me. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have to roll the dice or rub a rabbit's foot. We've got God's word. Yeah. And that's so fundamental to fighting against temptation and sin. Yeah. So we can see that the lie is a lie. And it does end in death and destruction eventually. This is something that stuck out a lot to me. And really, if I'm flipping down here through my notes, I'm noticing there's just this common theme is that I was thinking almost as a um, as an antagonist to, to hit, listen to the message. Somebody goes, well, how do I deal with temptation? Or how do I even... We talk about the standard. How do I know that something is a temptation? It is not a temptation. Um, maybe you'll say it's temptation. Mm-hmm. Maybe I say it's won't. Well, we're talking about what is that plumb line? And it is the word, right? Mm-hmm. But beyond the word, we, we I think sometimes we think about it just being some kind of guidebook and some kind of text. The word is effective in that it reveals who God is. That's what the Bible is. Mm-hmm. It's the specific revelation of God's character and nature and the way that he acts. So the plumb line is God's nature. His character, does this very thing reflect who he is and the way I'm dealing with yep. it? And I think if you go a step further into that standard, a lot of these questions about how to deal with this stuff um, start getting cleared up a little bit. Does that make sense? Like using God, his nature is the standard for how we're trying to determine whether or not something's stepped over from temptation to sin mm-hmm. or how do I flee these things appropriately? Well, I think that even uh, the book that I recommended, Right from Wrong by Josh McDowell, that's the approach he takes when it comes to absolutes yeah. so that you can know if something's an absolute if it directly relates to the character of God. So, for example, lying is wrong for all people, all places, all times. Why? Because God doesn't lie. God is truth. Uh, stealing is wrong. Why? Because God uh, doesn't need to see us self-contained and he provides for our needs. So anything that deviates from the character of God is uh, a violation of who God is. And that kind of bleeds all through humanity, whether lost people recognize it or not. Everybody loves it when people tell the truth. Why? Because there's a comfort, there's a solidity, there's a security that goes along with that. And that's how God seeded our human relationship. So I think it when it comes to lust and temptation, it's really good, as Pat said, to define, because sometimes we can think admiring beauty is a temptation or a lust. So that might be something to explore. Well, that's a good example, I think, because there's the idea, well, we can think about things like art or Mm -hmm. music, some things that can be very subjective in the way that people view them, right? Um, And it is, there's a sense in which something can be sin for somebody and not sin for something, somebody else Mm -hmm. when the thing is subjective. And it's the nature in which you're interacting with that thing, right? So I won't pick something because whatever you pick is going to be flawed with an object. But say there's a particular song Mm -hmm. that somebody says, you know, I listen to that song. And when I think about that, I think about how God's designed harmony and structure. And you can see how God's glory is, Mm -hmm. assuming it's not innately sinful, you know, right from that. Um, And somebody else can be like, well, I don't know. I hear that and it's a cacophony and it's these kind of things. Um, well, again, the question is not how you feel about it. It's how does this thing reflect the very nature of God? And are we interacting with things in that manner? Quick side note, I tried to get that book. It's only available at christianbook.com right now. So if you're trying to get the right wrong, ah. I don't know if it's in a publication ah. thing or maybe it's related to COVID. Well, I saw it on Amazon before. It's out of stock. And they don't have like, an, I couldn't find an electronic version oh, of it wow. anywhere. So I remember reading it years ago. <laughs> I've got a hard copy day. somewhere. So yeah. I would recommend if anybody's interested, yeah. christianbook.com. I think it was like 12 bucks. So yeah. <laughs> jump out there and get it. It's a good, good resource. 
Um, so yeah, one of the things I want to I want to build up on that is the idea in God's character is in that same text that we're looking at. James talks about every um, good and perfect gift mm-hmm. coming from God, yep. right? And the idea that and the way it tags into that is when you're being tempted about something, uh, any kind of trial comes up that leads to a temptation. You're stepping away from the goodness of God that has been ordained for you, that has been offered to you. And just that juxtaposition a little bit, I thought was helpful for me to think about how there's really a war that's going on here that is bigger than me. It's not just the fact that I'm dealing with whatever this besetting sin is, whether or not it be something related to sexual lust or maybe envy or pride or whatever it is that continues Mm -hmm. to come up. It's not just about me and that personal fight against the sin. God has designed the universe in such a way that my heart and affections are only to him. He's the only one that deserves them. Mm -hmm. But everything that's coming is removing away from what is properly and objectively good. If it doesn't come from God, it's not good, right? So there's a war here that's bigger than just the individual thing that we're dealing with. Yeah, and one of the things that I've found very helpful in life in looking at this, although it's a bit of a challenge to read, is Augustine's confession. So Augustine, before he actually follows after Christ, he notices that. He notices that his affections are given to him by God, but the problem is his affections are often wooed away. The energy of his affections are given after other things. And he identifies that as the sin, that his affections are meant to flow toward God and be caught up in the rapture and the beauty and excellence Mm -hmm. of God. But they devolve down into, for Augustine, primarily sexual sin. And so he would see his, or he came to see his sexual sin as this wasting of energy on something that was meant to serve him when his his focus and affection was meant to be finding a satisfaction in God. And in that, that is fundamentally the problem. And you even see it in uh, the writing of the Proverbs author, where he mm-hmm. talks about sexual sin and being drawn away after something. Yeah. And so that's really the, the seedbed from which temptation grows. You have to see that your affections are appropriate and honorable and right. Your passion is right. Yes. If it's directed in the right direction. Sometimes people think of temptation and they go, well, I've just got to uh, beat down my body or I've mm. got to uh, join a monastery or I've got to somehow punish myself. Uh, no, it's actually you just recognize where your affections are supposed to go and you see the activities of life simply stacking toward that or looking toward that. That's a, good, that's a really good point. And you touched on the message a little bit. The idea that the way that you defeat temptation is by somehow beating it down. Yeah. It might seem valiant, right? It might seem like a good idea, but it's kind of like you go on the diet and you're going to put the Oreos in the lockbox or something. Yeah. Like you're going to you need to replace that with something that is yeah. nurturing, that is right. building you up, um, which is really kind of interesting because that's, that's how we're designed first. Mm-hmm. We already have it in our spiritual DNA that we will appreciate God right. more than anything else. But we kind of, it's the best method that nobody's doing, right? It's the yeah. best tactic that it seems like we're not engaging with. And we see it in the book of Hebrews where it says that for the joy set before Jesus exactly. endured the cross. So he was replacing the fleeting pleasures of the temptation of that sin with the future forever deep and abiding pleasures that he has 
had fully experienced before his incarnation. So he had a better understanding and a taste of it, shall we say, than we have. And that was what he used to fight against his temptation so that he never succumbed. Yeah. So that therefore he could be our representative, our mediator. And so that is a technique that we need to embrace. So how do we do that? Well, we kind of ponder some of the realities of what it means to be a child or a daughter of God, that we're united with Christ, that God lives within us, that we're going to come and judge the earth uh, and angels, that we're going to live on this planet with him forevermore. All of that is ours to be had in the future in full measure. Or just if it's easier for you, sometimes for me, it's easier to, to contemplate what it must have been like in the garden mm-hmm. pre-fall when God is just rolling figuratively around the garden with Adam and Eve. And and what a privilege, man. And that's going to be ours, but amplified uh, on the return, on the flip side. And so those are the kind of things we have to have those realities uh, embedded in us so that we fight against this sin, there is a measure of beating down, but it's not only that, so that we fight that and then replace it with this affection we have towards this great God who's done so much through his son for us. I feel like that's such a big, I think people have a hard time wrapping their heads around that. Like I see people mm-hmm. go, I can't, how am I gonna do this? Okay, yes, the answer is that I need to know God more, I need to mm-hmm. better understand it, but I've tried that, I did that Bible study, I've done the yearly reading plan. Like, yeah. what are some ways that people can really dig into that? Or so maybe for you guys, some ways that, or, and I can think of some, that it's really changed from that, just that striving and trying to get it to, man, this is actually taking some effect. It's taking some root in my life. For me, something that I was very germane at the retreat when I prepared for this in 18, also from uh, a lot of John Bloom's writing, but is gratitude. Mm. Is developing mm. a sense that even these desires that we have are from God. He's the giver of our desires. And he is also, when they're expressed and fulfilled properly, the satisfier of them. For me to express my my uh, desires uh, sexually inside of marriage, for me to express my desires with food in an appropriate amount at dinner time or breakfast or whatever the case may be. So he gives us the desires. He's the satisfier of them. And then wherever I go, I seek to try to just take note of what is around me and thank him. You fail your test, that stinks. You thought you studied hard? Well, you're in school. You've got... Parents, you have eyes, you are able to take a test. There's so many hundreds and thousands of things at the local granular level for which to give thanks. And I think we all just assume those things. And then, of course, you back it up to the 30,000 foot level. And, well, I've got the God man standing in between me and the Father. And now he views me, the Father, as if I'm Jesus Hmm. with his righteousness. Hmm. Hmm. And so those types of the gratitude, it's like Chalmers said, you know, I drop this line all the time, (laughs) the expulsive power of a new affection. It's the it's contemplation. Yeah. It's meditation. It's regularly considering the truths of Scripture and how they apply to a sunset, a beautiful mm-hmm. flower. There's mm-hmm. one growing under my deck amongst these weeds. There's this flower standing tall and proud, two feet tall. The other day, I'm like, look at that, God. That is awesome. As I'm walking to my shop from my gym. Those things, all those little things, just it's like a grain of sand in your pocket. And over time, your pocket's full of sand. Mm-hmm. And you're just more satisfied with what God has given and the things that used to tempt you oftentimes will fall quite far away. And other times, not so much, they'll pop up more consistently. So, and you got that material from which you can, that that kind of, you built out that toolbox of scripture and understanding from just casually reading through scripture, going to church every once in a while, and maybe listening to some Christian songs on the radio, right? Indeed. No. <laughs> because yes, pill, bro. this is the thing, right? Yes. Like it's the idea that, well, I do the Christian things. Why yeah. don't I have that kind of toolbox yeah. to pull from? Yeah, it's not watching church online and yeah. listening to some killer podcast. Yeah. It's not. It's getting into the body. You have to be in the word, absolutely, but you must be in the body yeah. as well. So that when my arms start to droop, I got a brother or two that say, hey, let me help you 
pick it up or hey man you were disrespectful to your wife what is going on yeah. or whatever the case may be so that we so that I can be encouraged and pushed in the right direction and that doesn't come from casual irregular participation in church nor does it come from haphazard random readings of scripture yeah, yeah. or that I, yeah, one of the things that first hit me when I first became a believer, I was 19. So I remember that was a, an incredibly difficult time because I still had the remembrance of mm-hmm. relationships yeah. and all the things I had invested illicitly yeah. into. And I remember there was a very wise guy because I was saying, you know, my head just all the time, I drifting back to this and drifting back to this. And he said, every time that happens, you need to repent, just admit to what it is, and ask God to reform you. Yep. And I remember talking to him and saying, how many times do I do oh, that dude. every day? Like, <laughs> how many times until eventually it goes away? <laughs> yeah. And he said, don't worry about it going away. Just do what you need to do. Yep. And I remember doing that mm-hmm. and over time, and I think to what Pat said, if you focus on lust, that's your Gibraltar. Yeah. That's a problem. Mm. Because you satisfy it the right way. Yeah, you can satisfy it the right way. You're no. actually feeding. Yeah. You, what you do is you focus on your relationships. How do you have God-authorized, God-dependent relationships? Notice Him in nature. Notice Him in the Word. Notice Him this way. Notice, And what happens is, is that I think you gain the steam or the strength to then take on the Gibraltar. But it's not this kind of one-dimensional Western mentality. Let me beat this. Let me beat this issue. Beat, no. Just see yourself as walking with Christ. Take advantage of playing defense. Don't do the things that feed it. Play yeah. offense, the word, relationships, mm-hmm. church that help it. And I think special teams is those relationships you have, accountability relationships. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to start. But it, it doesn't happen overnight. No. Uh, it's one of those things is that's what maturity is. And, and it doesn't stop happening. No, There's no, not an no. arrival point, right? No, no. That's no. Our, our brother Paul tells us as he's getting older in life, he's realizing he's the chief of sinners, right? Like yep. the the closer you draw to the standard the more you're able to see how far you are from it right and the more he draws attention so maybe some of those more hideous or heinous glaring sins are way in your distance yeah but then you're able to not see that fire over there because it's out and you're like man i got coals everywhere that are about to burst into flames and so you become more aware of this holiness as you become more holy. Yeah. And you're like, I got so much further to go. It's unbelievable. Yeah. If you, you get to the point, you're going, hey, I feel good. I'm, I'm really getting to the point that oh. I'm, I'm pursuing perfection. You go, oh. hold on a second. Oh, you actually dude. don't Step understand back. sanctification <laughs> because your issues are myriad. Yeah. It's just that God in his kindness reveals certain ones yeah, over sure. time yes. because you'd come apart at the cellular level. If you express like Isaiah, what was me yeah. and done? I'm yeah. being disintegrated in your presence, yeah. Yeah. Lord. Blood and guts all that's the proper reaction, right? That's the always, yeah. I always think about this, particularly like in corporate worship environments, the idea of, you know, we want to draw near to the Lord. But it's like this double-edged sword of like, I do want to be near to the Lord, but Isaiah was near to yeah. the Lord and it reveals, right? But that's a good thing. And it's, it's cyclical in the way that we create these attack plans against sin, mm-hmm. which is ironic because really the root of all sin is pride. It's the idea that we think we can do this stuff, but name your sin, change your label. But the idea is that we think that we're superior, that we can do this thing apart from the Lord. And then the way that we're going to defeat it 
is by coming up with some great strategy in our own pride mm-hmm. to defeat this thing. The Lord won't have it. Nope. That's the thing is it's not only that it's ineffective, but you're standing in opposition because nope. the way the Lord has you to be relieved from it is that you realize it is in submission to who I am. Yeah. It's an understanding my position mm-hmm. that is far superior to yours. And that is not debilitating or degrading. No. It is the most liberating yes. thing in the world. It doesn't liberate us of our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It's never you stop playing defense, right? No. But it's liberating in the sense that it empowers you to function as right. good offense. I mean, that's the whole reason step one from alcohol synonymous is, you know, you got to admit that you have a problem with alcohol before you can deal with it. And so the whole point is it flows from gratitude is humility. Um, humility flows, from, sorry, gratitude flows from humility, I believe. But uh, acknowledging that I can't do this. Yeah. That I am Adam. I am Eve. I am pick your your bad guy. Yeah. And I can't do this on my own. And I need the Lord. I need his spirit. I need his word. I need his brothers and sisters in my life. And that's where you're in that position um, to be uh, have grace extended by God. He says that in the Old and the New Testament. He yeah. opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Yeah, It's hugely transformational to realize my, I got no game in this department. It doesn't mean just let go and let God. But you acknowledge where you are, and then you start grinding for the Lord and trying to change your affections and have the yeah. brothers and sisters come alongside of you. And I think that's exactly why James in one fourteen talks about identifying where these desires come from. They come yep. from you. Yep. So therefore, if you don't get to the point, if you're blaming everything from, okay, God, I blame Adam. you like yeah, Adam did with Eve, or I blame my circumstances, or I blame my DNA, how I was made, uh, you're effectively blaming God, that ultimately you actually can never make any That's headway right. because right. you're trying to impugn God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit, which is the instrumentation by which you're going to be able to move through this, but you're grieving him because you're not absorbing. This is something I have to deal with. This is who I am. This is my identity yeah. as a sinner. Yeah. And you have to start there. You know, that's that's the very nature of the word metanoia, of repentance. Mm-hmm. So many people think it means i got to turn from my sin. No, that's an action. It's just a change to the way I'm thinking about yeah. this God-man yeah. and the way I'm thinking about my own sin. Oh, I am a sinner. I am wretched. I'm under his wrath, rightfully so. I'm changing how I think about this guy because I have this new heart now. Yeah. And I respond then in humility. There's, there's no metanoia. There's no repentance that will ever happen apart from our heart being changed. And then that's just step one of, like your buddy told you when you're 19, a thousand times of yeah. repenting. Yeah. It's, it's a thousand times saying no to the chips. I'm going to have a carrot. Mm. And in three years, you'll have lost 100 pounds or whatever. Yeah. But it's just not tomorrow. And yeah. it's not next Tuesday. Yeah. And it's interesting to think, too, about when it's a, use like example like weight loss or any kind of goal you're trying to achieve, really, mm-hmm. particularly when you're trying to negate something out of your life. Having that proper goal in mind is, I mean, it's not only important, it's everything. Like you need to know where you're going towards. And I wonder if sometimes in the way that we deal with temptation, that the proper goal is satisfaction in God, right? That's the goal you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. that is the proper goal. This is my question though. Do we even know the Lord well enough to have that to be an aspiring goal for us? Like, can, can we be honest enough with ourselves sometimes yeah. when we go, I don't know that I think he is as valuable as the Bible says he is. Or, and, I, and the reason I say that is I've had these conversations with people, and it's hard for me to confess that, but they go, I, you're telling me God's really valuable, but obviously I'm not getting it. It's yep. not inspiring me the way. How do I get to the point to where I properly value? 
Sorry, we'll never properly right, value right, who right, God right. is. We're finite, he's infinite. Now. But how do we get to the point to where I value him in such a way that it is changing my want to's, it's changing my actions, it's changing the manifestation of my thoughts, that it's actually doing that. How do we get to a point to where that value system is really getting overturned for us in an effective way? Well, I mean, it's kind of self-defeating if you say, I want to value that, so by golly, I'm going to make that happen. <laughs> That's the problem. That's where I think that just like in trials earlier on in chapter in James, you ask for wisdom for your trials. I think with this is you ask for an understanding of the value and excellence of Christ. Ask Christ. Yes. You ask the Holy yep. Spirit to carve this out of mm -hmm. you, and then what you do is you watch him do that. Now... Paul talks about to the people of Corinth that you see Christ, see him. And when you see him for who he is, yes. it necessarily then changed you. Well, how does it change you? We know from John 16, it's the Holy Spirit that makes Christ known to you. So when you admit you can't and you ask the Holy Spirit to do it, then you gaze on Christ, yep. spending time in the word. Yep. The Holy Spirit loves to carve yep. that out. Yep. And I think that's the transactional dynamic of grace. But as Westerners, as, as humans, we have a tendency to go, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to discipline myself yeah. and I'm going to get up okay. and read the Bible and pray. And then the effectual yep. nature of who I am will change because yep. I've done this. The problem with that is God hates idolatry. Mm. And at the end of that process, you can go, look yeah. at what I've done yeah. and you can create I a seminar. On my boots yeah, steps. you're crisscrossing America, how to beat sexual sin, yeah. and you're just twice the son of Satan as you were before. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of, like my life transformed radically 13, 14 years ago, uh, years ago in regards to fitness. You know, I used to make fun of those guys or losers and all that, and then I changed. But like, it was more more recent when I went to Nashville with you and we went to the, what's the guitar store? Gibson, the Gibson Garage. The Gibson yeah. Garage. And I'm like, yeah, those are cool, whatever. But to hang out with you, who was just on I mean, you, it was un It was the third time I've been in the store in three days, too. A little kid on Christmas, but he's sugared up, man. But my point is, you knew so much about those stuff. things. You valued them. I yeah. could see this $8,000 one and this $100 one. I go, whatever. I got no knowledge. I don't have any data. You had no knowledge. Yeah, you now, do now. now. But the point is, um, you had the requisite knowledge yeah. to get geeked up over these things. And why is this Gibson better than... The other guy who makes them, whoever they are. The point is, by God's grace, we can have that same database, that same knowledge about who this God-man is yeah. as we uh, read through his scripture, as we worship him on Sundays, and as we have our brothers and sisters one another us. Yeah. We can see the difference between an $8,000 representation of Christ and some cheap cardboard cutout mm -hmm. and value him more. Yeah, this is what, it's funny, and you were talking about a football analogy, and I was, I was wondering if I should bring it up or not. Also, too, because it's maybe a little bit idolatrous about myself. But do you guys know about the 1990 eighth grade boys Duluth Wildcats football team? I didn't know Duluth had a football team. Let me tell you what. This <laughs> team was so impressive oh, that on, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution came out and wrote about how these guys were going to change the high school system at Duluth. This team scored more points in the first quarter than any opponent they had the entire year. More offensive stats every first quarter. It was really impressive. A bunch of 13, 14-year-old guys devastating everybody. It was epic. You guys know nothing about mm -mm. it. You cannot appreciate. Now, I, I did happen to be on that team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many girls teams did you play? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's stories to be told. Stories to be told. Uh, but the the point being, I have an appreciation with that because I have an intimacy with that. Mm -hmm. Now, you could all 
understand and appreciate that at the same level I have if you want to go back and read the newspaper articles. If you wanted to interview the guys that were on that team, probably better the parents that were on that team. They love, you, we all mm-hmm. know how people love talking to their kids. You could go mm-hmm. find all this information and you could have a similar appreciation of what I have. And this is one of the things that I bring, well, the reason I bring that up is it drives me nuts about how we continue to do this in Christianity is you can have the same level of understanding of who the Lord is as so many of the saints that you look up to. That's right. But you've got to do the work yeah. in not an idolatrous way. Yeah. So you say, I want to I want to know the Lord more. I want to experience this. I want to value him more. However, I know everything Courtney Kardashian does. Is that a Kardashian? Courtney no. Kardashian? I don't know. Honestly, I'm not engaged. Yes. But you know everything about all Twitter these other things that are whatever. going on. Mm-hmm. You get every single video game that's coming out. And I wish that was a comment to a 14-year-old, but it is to some 44-year-olds out there. You know who you are. I actually don't have somebody in mind. But you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> there, there's all these things. We say we want this, but our life is consumed with other things when we could be spending that life to investigate who the Lord is mm-hmm. and better appreciate him. It's not saying those things are bad. Nope. It's not right. saying that they're inherently wicked. They are subordinate to what you could be experiencing mm-hmm. because in another, I'll give you a, a way to use this time, go read a divine and supernatural light immediately imparted to the soul. It's a Jonathan Edwards sermon where he goes through and reminds us that you're actually designed to love God. That's right. The way you're made is you're actually hardwired mm-hmm. to respond to him in that way of having these and proper affections. In the fall. It's just simply broken, right? Mm-hmm. So when the Holy Spirit works on you and reveals your eyes to, to see who he is, the natural response is to go. But that doesn't mean we keep doing it. You want to work. Though I have a knack sometimes for diagnosing things that I don't understand. I can fix cars very frequently, but I used to not understand cars. And we realized the reason I could do it is because I started with the presupposition that the car wants to work. There's just stuff in the way that's keeping it from, it was designed to work in the first place. And you kind of work backwards and go, let's get these things out of the way because the car wants to run. Mm -hmm. We want to run, brothers and sisters, we want to run for God's glory. You eliminate these things by getting to know who he is and as you turn your eyes upon yeah. Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing, right? Lay aside every weight and it cumbers us and press on. So, but that, that's a good word. Somebody give me an antagonistic response to that, though, because in a, in a, in a, in a, a make-up way, a make-believe way, why is it that we don't do that? Why is it that we continue? I don't think that everybody that says they want to know the Lord and they want to be able to resist temptation by valuing him more, I don't think they're just you know giving me gas. I don't think they're just saying that and they really, mm-hmm. don't really mean it. But I do see that there's an incompatibility to where we can we continue to do this other things as opposed to doing that. Yeah, I think there's two reasons um, without sounding so systematic. But number one, we're in love with the idea of loving things. We're in love with the idea of something, not the thing. So in other mm-hmm. words, I'm in love with the idea of following Christ. But okay, what is the temperature of my life? What is the pattern of my life today? Yeah. In other words, actively doing what you know God's called you to do. Just do those things, and what you'll see is your affection go up. So I think I think that's the first thing. The second thing I think that is incredibly vacuous today is the relationship of discipleship in the church. That leadership is more about gathering a crowd than helping people walk out the faith. And so because of that, we have legions of people who think that Christianity is knowing a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. versus following after Christ. And so people go, they equate, well, I'm going to get over my lust by doing what? By knowing more. If I just know more, that's good. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is unwittingly the forms that churches very often take 
is stunting the growth of people because they think that's the transactional nature of spirituality when you go, no, no, no. Why don't you meet with somebody who's more mature for some years and let them pour into you and help them walk through Scripture, help them surrogate you into seeing who Christ is, the value of Christ and excellency of Christ, and have that rub off. So if Christ spent three years with the disciples, one and a half years he was with generally, but then after that one and a half years he calls the disciples. The Twelve. Yeah, and so you think about how much time he spent with them before we get to John 16, and they're kind of complete, yeah. before he prays the prayer in John 17 saying, I've completed the work you gave me to you, yeah. which is making disciples. Think about how much time he spent. Mm-hmm. And do we really think that just coming to church on Sunday for that period of time where it's just hearing information, you yeah. think that has the transactional, transformative power mm-hmm. to change you in these areas? That's where I think it's much deeper. Yeah. It, it's actually the way church is being done. And that's one of mm-hmm. the reasons why here we think we not only Sunday morning, but you got to be in a a small group and then you got to have some discipling relationship Mm -hmm. a d group you're involved in something a life-on-life transactional transformational dynamic without that um you think that you're treading you're you're going up river against your temptation but really at best you're treading water yeah Yeah. i'll go back to your point one and love it the idea of it as opposed to Mm -hmm. it itself because what we realize behind the idea of loving Jesus is a ton of work. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's hard mm. to lay aside the weight that entangles us. Yeah. It's hard to forsake sin and to run away and flee from sexual temptations, as Paul. It's work, man. Mm-hmm. I say it all the time. It is so easy to become a Christian because Christ did it all. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to follow him faithfully. Hmm. Yeah, the, and so we punt. We're like, whatever, I'm out. Yeah, the idea, just because it's free doesn't mean it's cheap. No. And or people easy. miss that up. <laughs> yeah. I, think, yeah. I just think I thought of a t-shirt. Off that, right? it's, it's easy to become a Christian. It's hard to be one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, the, it's the continuous um, mm-hmm. Again, that's why the body is so important. Like you said, community groups, the D groups, yeah, whatever the case may be, we've got to have brothers and sisters alongside of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I, I struggle with this guy, and I think you probably hear it even in my voice when I was saying it before. But the I don't want to make people think that there's some kind of obligatory system they have to comply with or do whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do just for the sake of not being one of those people that hears what Christ has already foreshadowed in Matthew: "Depart from yeah. me, for you I never knew." Mm-hmm. I just want you to know. Like, actually do business. Do you want Christ? Mm-hmm. If you don't want Christ, it mm-hmm. makes sense that you yep. have no desire to follow him. I mean, sorry. No, I mean, I'm but not. if you do, then it makes sense that you need to rewire your thinking yeah. to adhere your life to what you know you actually yeah. do value. Jesus offers up two back-to-back, one-sentence parables in Matthew, talking about a guy who finds the kingdom of God, translated mm-hmm. who becomes a Christian. And he sells everything to get it. It's transformational yeah. because of the desire. He sees the treasure, the mm-hmm. value, the beauty, mm-hmm. whatever adjective is more resonant in your mind, and then makes it happen. Yeah. Sure, this guy's got some shortcomings. It's just a parable. It's one sentence. Yeah. But the point is the value is there. It's not yeah. just, like you said, a transaction. It's yeah. a transformation as we behold his beauty. Yeah. yeah, And everybody gets to that place where they have to answer, is Jesus enough? It doesn't matter yeah. what the issue is. Mm-hmm. You're always going to ask us. So for the disciples, it's the John 6 passage. And for people today on this subject, it might be they get to the point they go, I'm either going to go down this way of pornography or I'm going to believe Jesus is enough. They might face that on a regular basis. And that's really what you're saying. 
If, mm-hmm. if you go down that road of pornography, Jesus isn't enough. Nope. And fundamentally, if you do that, you are participating in a belief system that is condemning and putting Christ on the cross. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 is, is that, yeah, that Christ is no effect. If you believe the old covenant, what was the issue there? That Jesus Christ wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And so they're adding the observations from the Old Testament and they're re-crucifying Christ over again. In other words, they're saying it was right that he went to the cross. And that's why in verse 15 of James 1, where he talks about that process of desire conceiving and giving birth to sin, sin of this full grown, giving death. birth to death, saying this is the trajectory of that thinking, death versus mm-hmm. the good and perfect gifts that come from God the Father. Yep. And so therefore, where do you want to be? Wherever you value is where you will eventually yeah. be. I think that's good. I, I just think in my own life, and just a, a, a testimony of I've given up a lot of things I didn't want to give up in life. I've turned away from a lot of temptations. I've regretted none of it. I've regretted none of it. You know, like in the moment, it might have been difficult, but Mm -hmm. there is no regret on the other side of sacrificing for the sake of sanctification. Mm -hmm. And there is just really a level of joy that I really hope brothers and sisters can hear Mm -hmm. and that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to inspire them to enjoy. When you read these texts, uh, and maybe I've said this on this broadcast before, I say it to people frequently, grab epistles and read them in big chunks. Um, and not just for like a study thing. I'm a, obviously, I'm a big fan of studying the Bible. But sometimes when you read it, think about the person and that oh, this stuff was worth it. Like they experienced Christ. They've seen this in such mm-hmm. a way. And the joy that is behind these things, even mm-hmm. when Paul's getting on to the Corinthians and yeah. saying it, there's a sense of presence of joy that's behind there that I'm not, I don't want to say I'm envious of, but I'm a little envious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was a young man on the soccer team in high school, I really struggled with uh, foul language uh, when I in competitive situations. And a verse that I memorized back then, First Corinthians ten thirteen, I still get it jacked up because it was NASV, and now I'm ESV guy. But you know, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who along with the temptation will provide a way of escape, so that you may be able to endure it. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a get out of jail card free. But it's a truth that flows from the gracious, the grace-giving God mm-hmm. that he will allow you to resist and overcome if you will submit and pursue after him. Now, we're going to fail, but it's there. And so lay hold of it, brothers and sisters, and, and reach after him because he's there wanting to walk you through it. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's tons of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I kind of just want to keep talking about the same thing. I think because I live in this a lot, and it... it Hmm. We all do, right? I mean, we, we counsel people, and I hope that other brothers and sisters are counseling people regularly, talking about these kind of things. Um, these are good texts. These are good messages. Maybe mark the date that you had this in your Bible. It'd be helpful for helping a brother and sister. Um, and But one of the reasons I say that is it's not going to go away, nope. right? We're, this is the plot that was, is laid for us until we get to a time where it will all go away, right? Sure. There is hope on the other side of Christ's return, but until that, we will face temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again of Jesus' words, you know, there will be struggle, there will be pain in this room, mm-hmm. though I am with you always to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. We're not alone in it. And it's not simply like we're not alone, like hey, I'm here with you. Christ is working his power in us mm-hmm. for his glory unto our good. So 
And I think it's important to remember when he says that, then he leaves. He gives his church the body. So therefore, uh, when you, if somebody would say, well, he's not here for me. No, he is here for you in the body. And that's where connect with a church, a Bible-believing, God-centered, Christ-exalting church. And if you can't find it, well, be willing to drive a little farther for it. There you go. Yep. Uh, so you just have to really pursue it. Without that environment, uh, life gets very much more difficult than it was even mm-hmm. intended right. to be. Yeah. I'm going to let that lead us to something to close with I want to park on um, because I really want to be able to bring up Lady Gaga again <laughs> somehow. Um, because I had no idea. I'm so, at this point, I'm so socially removed. I was like, I hope he says who he is because I got no idea what he's talking well, about. Well, I didn't right? want to give the melody because I was like, that's an earworm. Uh, you know, yeah, hey, as somebody who struggles to get those things out of my ear, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, but reflecting back, because I want to make this an, I want to leave this as an encouragement, this idea that we're born this way. Mm. Therefore, there is nothing mm. we can do about it. Apart from the fact that it's just the most defeating thing ever, like even from a secular standpoint, that one yeah. had flown just a little while ago, right? Mm-hmm. Tells you about the times we're living in. Um, I, I've said before, I'll sometimes I will give people that argument. Like if that's what you, if you want to say you're born oh. this way, okay, go ahead, own it, keep it. Doesn't make it okay. Like right. then I won't give that argument long term because you're not born that way. Right. right? You're born sinful. We all have that in common. Mm-hmm. It needs to come over. But I think something we need to know as brothers and sisters in Christ are remind ourselves: you are born a certain way. Right? You were born as an image bearer of Almighty God. Mm-hmm. You were born with a plan over That's your right. life. And that plan includes the participation of the Holy Spirit in your sanctification. You are not bound to these sins. You were born in such a way that God is going to make a design for you to better bury His image throughout life. And then an eternal destiny where we will do it perfectly mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And that's something, I don't know, maybe we can rewrite the song. But, <laughs> well, I, but I do think that uncovers, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Is I think that uncovers the diabolical nature of the enemy and the people who might have impulses towards same-sex attraction. And when they have the impulse, they, they identify that with their identity. So that's who they are. If they had the impulse, that must be their identity. And that is just an absolute lie. Mm-hmm. We have impulses to lie. We have impulses to steal. Impulses to do all sorts of stuff. That's not our identity. Right. We don't say that's who you are. That's not a prison cell. The enemy makes that a prison cell, particularly for young people, to think that that's who I must be. So yeah. then, therefore, they go, okay, I've got to act this out. That's what yeah. the world tells you. Now, that's something to see, an impulse to process, bring truth to bear to it, help get people to pour into your life, mm-hmm. but then reject it. And there are people in our church that have to reject it regularly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have an impulse, that's what you must be. So it's really important to help people understand. We would love to help you walk oh, yeah. through that. And you will struggle with this. You will have those impulses. But that doesn't mean there's condemnation. Yeah. Just like we have impulses to pride, we have impulses to envy. Mm-hmm. That's not who we are in that sense. It's an expression that we're sinful, yeah. but drives us back to the gospel that we're image bearers. It doesn't lock us in as the world would like you to do. Yeah. Lock us into that's who we must be. And we go down this joyless uh, oblivion mm-hmm. toward hell. Yeah. And so that's it's very important. I think the enemy is set up so we've moved from just over a period of time, gay used to be an emotion. Now all of a sudden it's a noun. Yeah. It moved from an adjective to a noun over how many years and that's because the world system is trying to constrict and enslave people mm-hmm. that that must be their destiny. Yeah.
and it's not confined to just that, like this identity thing in general, and people throw on the term identity politics or whatever, it makes sense that this would be something that people would struggle with because it's one of the, it's the primary thing that keeps us connected to God and understanding we have a distinct identity. And that's as, broken. And yeah, exactly right. Fall. Yeah. We are identified yeah. as image bearers. Every single one of us, right? And then we've all broken. Some of us are being restored by the kindness of God. Some of us never will. But it never changes who you were made to mm-hmm. be. Yep. So it makes sense that we're going to fight this front on identity yep. because not only the world and the enemy, but our pride goes, I mm-hmm. can grab onto a different identity. Yep. I can deny who I am at my core. So that's not going away anytime soon. But we just want to reiterate, lie, 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 what a liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? <laughs> this is not true. That is not your identity. Anybody that says your identity is something other than an image bearer mm-hmm. made to reflect and enjoy God forever. Ever is wrong. Yeah. Is wrong. And they're selling you a husk of what you could and should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So pursue enjoyment in that. It's worth it. Get with other brothers and sisters. Strive for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't believe it right now, just be- believe us. Yeah. <laughs> believe others that you see, right? Yeah. Having a great life and pursue that, you know, mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. So uh, again, we can go on and on. Yeah. We might. So let us know, like either in the comments, um, and just some people have made some um, comments about the comment section. YouTube has had some issues with there. So if you make a comment and you see it disappear, let me know, let one of these guys know. Let's have some conversations about ways maybe we can elaborate on some of these things, do some Mm -hmm. other series to be able to help you guys out there. We wanna do these things to enrich you in your following of Christ. All right, guys? Mm -hmm. Good. All right, so thank you, gentlemen. Thank Thank you you for your time. And until next week, uh, you guys enjoy pursuing the Lord and remember that you have been made for that task. Goodbye.